Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. On the 11th of December 2019, the government of Saudi Arabia launched the initial public offering of the Saudi Aramco Corporation onto the Tatawal Public Stock Exchange. The company's initial offering actually went quite well after an unprecedented marketing campaign, which before this event was pretty much unheard of. On the second day of trading, the company hit a market capitalization of $2 trillion, easily eclipsing even Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft to go on and become the single most valuable company in history. This wasn't wild speculation god mad either. The company had a comprehensive plan to ensure solid returns to investors, and even before it was released to the public, it was still the most profitable company the world had ever seen bringing in $110 billion in 2019, which was close to double that of the next closest competitor, Apple Computers, that only brought in a paltry $60 billion. This channel has never explored an existing company before, and outside of the Dutch East India Company, this will only be the second company that we've ever looked at specifically. But there is a reason why. This corporation is so gargantuan in size that it is probably more impacted by external macroeconomic forces than it is by internal management decisions. The transacting capital of this institution surpasses all of that but the largest countries in the world. But it's not all roses. After its second day of trading, the stock price of Saudi Aramco has experienced a slow and painful decline. This coupled with the ongoing turmoil in the securities market around the world and the oil price war, the initial public offering of Aramco may very well be the biggest financial flop in history, only marginally surpassing cats. An initial public offering is something that you may very well have heard of thrown around in financial news articles or even in movies like Wolf of Wall Street, and for the most part, most of you watching are pretty up to speed with what it is. But in brief, it is still important to understand the life cycle of a company. A company gets founded, perhaps in someone's garage, and it will get funded from the founder's own pocket, or perhaps friends and family will chip in to make the idea happen. If this actually goes well and the business starts operating with customers and suppliers, then it will attract the interest of investors that specialize in these kinds of startup companies. If that all goes well, then they will get to play in the big leagues, which is opening up your share offering to anybody with a brokerage account on a public market. This all makes a lot of assumptions. For starters, it massively simplifies the process of seed capital and then multi-series funding, but the big one is it also assumes that these companies actually need investment to keep on growing, which isn't always the case. On one extreme, we have companies like Amazon that didn't actually turn a profit for the first two decades of their operation, but some companies can grow off their own steam. And today, some of the largest companies in the world are not listed on any public stock exchanges. Companies like Cargill, Coke Industries, the big four accounting firms, and even Ikea, they have all remained private 
and have still grown to be the massive company that we know and hate today. Now, Saudi Aramco was a state-owned oil corporation that was making hundreds of billions of dollars in profit every year. Why on earth would they need to go public? The short answer is, they didn't. They absolutely did not need any of the money it raised from listing itself on a public stock exchange. And the other thing to know is that it only listed 5% of the total shares of the entire corporation, with the other 95% to be retained by the royal government of Saudi Arabia. But despite all of this, the initial public offering of the company had a marketing budget that put AAA blockbusters to shame, which is really odd. I mean, when was the last time you saw an ad on TV about a company going public? Likely, never. It's just not that type of product. Investors that are in the market for IPO stock are going to know what is coming up. They will do their own research and they are not going to be swayed one way or the other by some highway billboard. To make things even weirder on top of that, all of the money that was raised during this IPO was not going to be used to be reinvested into the company like every single other IPO ever. It was instead going to be used by the government to invest into other projects, like building some infrastructure, but most importantly, building up a sovereign wealth fund. We have explored the idea of a sovereign wealth fund before on this channel with the economy of Norway, another oil-rich nation, which is today home to the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world. These funds are like insurance policies for the future when the oil runs out or becomes a worthless commodity that the world no longer relies on. Saudi Arabia was a little bit late to the party on building up this wealth fund for two main reasons. One was that it was a much less developed country than Norway was when it discovered oil. So it had to invest into all of this stuff that would make it a proper developed country first before it started socking money away. The other was that it was probably a little bit more irresponsible with the money, and a lot of that money was spent on supercars and super yachts before the extensive royal family turned around and said, oh yeah, we better start planning for the future. Now the government has actually marketed this IPO as a way for citizens of the nation to share in the wealth of the nation as it grows into the future. And people have even been encouraged to take out mortgage-style investment loans in order to buy into the company in the same way that any other national government might encourage its citizens to take out the loan to, you know, buy a house. Which leads us on to the final major point to note about this initial public offering. It wasn't very public. The IPO was originally slated to be open to international investors, but they didn't see much in the way of international demand for stock in a company that has very little room left to grow in a declining industry in a region that's not super famous for political stability. Shocking, I know. So, it was really only open to the citizens of the nation. Foreign investors could still buy in if they really wanted to, but it involved a huge workaround. The thing that made this all the more limiting is the stock exchange it was listed on. The Tatawal Stock Exchange is the national stock exchange of Saudi Arabia, and it's similar in many ways to any other stock exchange in the world. Even the really big ones you're probably more familiar with, like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. But the thing is, the Tatawal is not a big exchange. Exchanges like the NASDAQ can service companies like Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft because they have lots and lots of registered brokers and huge capacity for trading volumes and a much more active pool of buyers. 
listing the largest company in the world on a small regional stock exchange was kind of like trying to sell a Bugatti Chiron at a Midwestern secondhand Ford dealership. It just really wasn't the right market. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so let's say you are looking to expand your investment portfolio out into some established blue-chip companies and Stadia Ramco still takes your eye. There are a lot of things still going for it. Outside of the fact it's the world's biggest company, it also has a decent trade record, it's profitable, it's government-backed, and perhaps more intriguingly of all, it has a guaranteed dividend payment of 4.4% of the value of the company at IPO. And for those of you who are not super up to speed with stock investments, a 4.4% dividend return is very, very substantial, especially when it's guaranteed for five years after the initial public offering. What makes this all better is that the share price is actually now dropped by close on 20%, which means the actual yield is closer to 5% per year. This almost sounds like a no-brainer, especially in a market like early 2020, when it looks as if no companies will be paying dividends at all. But there are a few things to consider. The first is, of course, the longevity of the company. You don't make investment decisions for the next five years, you should really be making them for the next 50 years, And you do have to ask yourself, what will an oil company look like in 2070? I mean, I can't tell you, it's pure speculation, but it is an important question to ask yourself. Beyond that, you have to consider the investment risks. Market risk, liquidity risk, foreign investment risk, and sovereign risk. Market risk is the easiest to understand. There is nothing to say that this company will still be around in 10 years time, given that the way oil prices and OPEC is going at the moment, it may just fall aside to more competitive multinationals. It's not likely, but we also thought that it was unlikely Lehman Brothers would ever have any trouble, so it does happen. I mean, I am sure the bright-eyed investors buying into the IPO in early December did not see a price war between Russia on top of the illness that must not be named, massively stifling the demand for crude oil. But again, here we are. Liquidity risk is another big one here. Despite the size of the company, only a small percentage of its shares are open to the public on a very, very small exchange. There is every chance that if you make a very large investment into this company, that there won't be any liquidity to actually sell those shares back for cash if you ever wanted to, meaning that while your investment looks great on paper, it's gone. 
foreign investment risk is another big one, and there are two things that you will need to consider here. The first is that you may get taxed in both the country of your investment and then again in your home country, and this double taxation may be enough to make a good investment a bad investment. In the case of Saudi Aramco though, that's probably not a major concern. What may be is the currency pairing. To buy Saudi Aramco shares, you need to pay in Saudi Rial, the national currency of Saudi Arabia. And the dividends are also paid in Rial, and if you ever sell the shares, then you guessed it, you will be paid out in Rial. But the thing is, you are probably going to want your money back in US dollars, or whatever your home currency is. So you will need to look out for the exchange rate. The first thing here is that every time you change your money back and forth, you are probably going to be charged a fee from the financial institution conducting this foreign exchange trade. And the other thing is, those currency prices fluctuate. At the moment, the Saudi Rial is actually pegged to the US dollar at a fixed 27 cents per US dollar. But there is nothing stopping the Saudi government artificially lowering that price to make their exports slightly more competitive. But also making your returns far less profitable. This brings us neatly on to sovereign risk. This is the risk that you take that a government is not going to just nationalize the company you have invested in. Now you take this risk by investing into any company. Even in the United States there is nothing really to stop the government just turning around and saying yep this company here, this ours now. Of course they probably won't do that and there would be a huge outcry if they did, but They could, hypothetically, if they wanted to. In a country like Saudi Arabia, the same thing is true. There is nothing to stop the government going, eh, well we already own 95% of this company, sorry, we're just going to stop paying dividends and effectively make your shares worthless. The thing is, in a younger nation with a more centralized and unchecked government, this kind of risk is much, much higher than it would be in the United States or Europe or Australia. All of this kind of makes it sound like a pretty bad investment, and for the most part, it probably is. It was probably overhyped through its marketing campaign, overinflated through loans to purchase shares, and then overextended for a company that didn't even need the money. Saudi Aramco is the biggest and most profitable company in an age that has come to be defined by hugely powerful and hugely profitable megacorporations. The initial public offering brought it into the limelight of the wider business community and it quickly showed that it may be the business that put western megacorporations into the shade. And it still is. The criticisms of the business can only go so far. At the end of the day, it is still the most profitable company to have ever existed, but that just may not be a good investment. A business like this starts to blur the line between company and state, and that is a line that exists for a good reason. Businesses do well by doing well for their shareholders, and governments do well by doing well for their citizens. In the case of Saudi Aramco, the company is kind of trying to do both, by giving returns to shareholders and funneling money back into a state investment fund. Will it work out? Who can really say? It certainly hasn't got off to the best of starts, but it may very well be a matter of national pride at this point. That Saudi Arabia, a country that just 50 years ago was little more than a barren wasteland, is now home to the largest company in history. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. A big thank you to our new patrons over on Patreon. As always, your support really, really helps out. 
I hope this topic has stirred up a little bit of controversy that we can talk about in the Q&A session hosted over on the Economix Explained Discord server and live streamed on the second channel. So if you did have any questions, queries or concerns, I hope to see you guys over there. Thanks, bye. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.